0: It is by His grace that we can gather and celebrate this Lord's Day. Thank you for being with us. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We'll be going through the remainder of 26 starting into Matthew 27 this Lord's Day. Uh, If you've been with us, you know that we are going through Matthew's Gospel and we are now in the final hours leading up to the cross. And last week we looked at the beginning or the first part of the trial of King Jesus as he was there before Caiaphas, and uh, today we're going to look at Peter and Judas and some events uh, going on with them during, in between the various aspects of Jesus' trial. We'll return to His trial before Pilate next Lord's Day. And as you can see in front of me, uh, we'll also have the opportunity to come this Lord's Day to the Lord's Table together to remember His body and His blood. And, and we invite all who are Christians who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who have made a profession of that faith, to share in this table with us. And we'll be coming to that later on during our time this morning. But let's begin by looking at Matthew chapter 26, 26, starting in verse 69, and we'll read down through verse 10 of chapter 27. This is what the Holy Spirit says through Matthew. Now when Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you two are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. Throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and brought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel. And they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Let's pray for our time in God's Word this morning. Father, we see in Your Word failure this morning. We see sin on behalf of Peter and Judas. Lord, we don't have to look far to, to see sin. We can look in the mirror and we can see it in our own life. Lord, the question for us is the question we see dealt with in the text. How, how are we to respond to our sin? Father, I pray for everyone here this morning, especially for those who perhaps have felt the need to deal with sin through their works, have felt the need to try to somehow overcome the bad with the good, who somehow think that if they try hard enough, that they will appease you. Father, I pray this Lord's day that they would understand grace. And it is only by grace that we can come before You and spend eternity with You. And we pray for these things in Christ's name. Amen. A number of years ago, in fact, way back in 1798, a game came to our nation called the New Game of Human Life. It was a game that was intended for parents to play with their children in order to teach them not just about this life, but about the life To come. It was a game where they would move faster through it as they accomplished different virtues. It's a game that would slow them down as they got entangled in different vices. The creators of the game said that this was the purpose of it. Life is a voyage that begins at birth and ends at death. God is at the helm, and your reward lies beyond the grave. This game would be circulated throughout many families until it was picked up by a man named Milton Bradley in 1860. He changed the name to the Checker Game of Life and didn't focus so much on virtues and vices. He talked about things like honesty and bravery. They would make you move faster. Idleness, disgrace would slow you down. But the main emphasis was on winning wealth and building success. The game would go through other transitions until it would come to the form that most of you know it as. In 1960, it was called The Game of Life. And it's a game that many of us uh, played. It played with our parents, with our children. It sold about 35 million copies. Except that form of the game dropped all mention of vices and virtues. The goal was simply to earn money, buy furniture, grow a family, and prepare for the day of reckoning at the end. The game was further revised in 1990... At this point, there was no more family, just game players. It was less about money and more about saving endangered species and solving pollution problems. Uh, Cash prizes were awarded to whoever would do those things. And then just this last year, uh, the Game of Life went through another revision. Uh, Now, the game doesn't really focus on an end. Uh, The game focuses on building points, and you get points for pretty much anything you want to get points for. Uh, For example, you'll find in the game of life now that if you want to donate a kidney, you'll get the same amount of points as if you want to go scuba diving. Uh, The game has become very relative, simply focusing on this, and I quote, do whatever it takes to retire in style. We can look at something as simple as a board game and we can see a great shift. uh, uh, Focusing initially on preparing for the eternal to simply living in the moment, focused originally on there are certainly absolutes to everything's kind of in ambiguity. And we can look at a game like that and we can say, well, that's, that's just terrible. And yet the same things happen, friends, in the church. Uh, you could have walked into a church in the late 1700s and early 1800s. and in most churches you would have walked into, you would have heard a similar message. You would have likely heard the gospel proclaimed. You would have heard that salvation is not by anything we do it is by the work that Christ has done that we must repent of our sin and place our faith in him you would have heard messages on how to prepare for eternal life more than worry about the life here and now and yet you can walk into any number of churches today and there's really no telling what you will hear Uh, most messages preached this morning At least many messages from the pulpit will be more concerned about your financial success or how to better your marriage or tips on how to make your work environment more encouraging. And they will talk about those things and there will be little to no mention of the gospel. And yet, when we come to God's Word, what we find is the issue is not your best life now and how to make things better for yourself. The issue is we are all sinners separated from a holy God and something has to happen to deal with our sin. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're specifically going to look at that as we look at two different men and how they responded to sin and how they responded to Christ There's a lot here in this text dealing with what's going on around the trial of Jesus. We're going to come back to His trial before Pilate. But what I want to focus on this morning specifically is is Peter's response to sin in his life, Judas' response to sin in his life, and then how we need to respond to sin according to what the Scripture teaches us. We'll look at some things these men have in common, and then we'll look in the end at something that was very different about them. We'll begin by looking at something similar, and I've placed this in your notes, that Jesus had warned both Peter and Judas, but they did not listen to him. We see Jesus issuing warnings to both of these men. Think, for example, of what we saw just a few weeks ago in Matthew 26. says, as Jesus is there for the Passover celebration with the disciples, as He institutes the Lord's Supper, the supper that that we as believers will partake in this Lord's Day. And at that time, Jesus makes a statement in Matthew 26 to the disciples. And He lets them know that it's time for Him to be betrayed. He lets them know that the cross is coming. Notice, remember their response. Jesus says, verse 31, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. He is quoting Zechariah 13.7 here. He is fulfilling yet more of the prophecy about the Messiah. He says, as a word of comfort to them, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus is not saying to this to the disciple in some sort of... uh, uh, Listen, guys, you're all going to scatter and you're just worthless and I can't believe you're going to do that. Jesus says to them, they're going to strike the shepherd and you're all going to scatter, but God is sovereign and I'm going to the cross and I will be raised from the dead and after the resurrection I will go before you. Jesus is giving them a great word of hope of what is to come. But remember how Peter responds to this. Peter says, Jesus, you're probably right about everybody else. I mean, they're going to fall. They're going to run. They're going to hide. But Jesus, I will never do that. Now think of what we saw of Peter last week in the garden. Peter's the one yielding the sword thinking he needs to fight the fight for Jesus. He's the one going out there swinging. And here we see Peter doing the same thing. Peter says, Jesus, I will not leave you. Jesus says, Peter, yes, you will. He says, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And remember, Peter, even then, does not listen to Jesus. He does not respond to Jesus. He simply says, if I must die with you, I will die with you. I will not deny you. And then the Scripture tells us the disciples essentially say the same thing. It wasn't just Peter. Peter had been warned by Jesus before. Jesus, in speaking in Matthew 16 about His coming betrayal and crucifixion and resurrection, what does Peter say? He says, no, no, it doesn't need to happen that way, Jesus. And what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, get behind me, Satan. And We talked about that one with Matthew 16, that Peter was siding with the enemy there, the enemy who would want to say the cross is not necessary, because the enemy knew that that cross would be a fulfillment of Genesis 2. 3.15, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And that's indeed what Christ would do on the cross. Satan didn't want the cross. Yet at the same time, you see Satan wanting Jesus to die. God is sovereign over all these things. But Peter there is siding with the enemy. And so Jesus says to Peter, get behind me Satan. And then he says this, Peter, you have your things in the mind of man. You need to have your things in the mind of God. But what we see of Peter is that his things were very much in the mind of man and that he did not heed the warning that Jesus gave him. And so we see him in this text fulfilling exactly what Jesus says and denying Christ. And and we see Judas doing the same thing. Uh, Judas had been warned about the love of money. Judas had been warned by Jesus. Jesus said, listen, you cannot serve two masters. Judas is there with the other disciples. Jesus is sitting there saying to them, listen, you want to serve money? Then you're not going to serve God. You serve God, you're not going to serve money. Beware. Be warned. You can't serve both. And yet, what do we see of Judas? We see Judas there at that Passover meal. And as Jesus is saying to him, one of you is going to betray me. He knows exactly who it's going to be because Judas has already gone out. Judas has already put a plan in place. Why did he put that plan in place? Well, there was another meal we looked at that took place where Jesus is there in Bethany and he's being anointed with oil and the disciples are upset because this, this oil, this ointment, it could have been sold and that money could have been given to the poor. But then John tells us Judas really wasn't interested in the poor. Judas was interested in his own pockets. Judas was taking money from the money bag. And, and so Judas is seeing profit spilled out on the floor. And it's right after that that he goes and he seeks to betray and sets a price for betraying Jesus. We see very much that money was an idol. Money was God in Judas's life. We see that Jesus had warned Judas along with others about this, and yet Judas did not listen. We don't need to look far. We don't even look to Peter and Judas. We can just look in the mirror and see that we don't listen very well either. Scripture is filled with warnings for us about sin, and yet, how do we respond to it? How are you responding today to it? Oftentimes, we think of ourselves as the exception. Well, I realize Jesus says this is wrong, and for everybody else, this is wrong, but for me... Pastor, walk a mile in my shoes and you'll understand why this is okay for me. And we fail to listen to the warnings of... sin's going to come and sin's going to come and you need to deal very drastically with it when it does. Listen, for example, to what Jesus says in Matthew 18, a text we looked at some time ago. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And then Jesus tells us this, And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to enter life with one eye than two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. What is Jesus saying? He's saying you will be tempted to sin and you need to deal with it very drastically. And People have interpreted this text different ways. I've struggled with it as I've gone through it in the past. and. I think what Jesus is saying here, or one way we might interpret it would be to say, well, Jesus says if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. If your hands cause you to sin, uh, cut them off. And so if we take that real seriously, then this morning this place would be a mess. would we'll be poking out eyes and cutting off hands. and Why? Because we're sinners. And yet, we can also take it too lightly and say, well, certainly Jesus doesn't want me... Cutting anything off or doing anything like that. But he's just saying just be serious about sin. And so I need to really try hard not to sin. And when I do sin, I need to try hard to do better. And I think both of those missed the mark. I think what Jesus is saying here is this. Your eye doesn't cause you to sin. Your heart causes you to sin. You can be blind and still be a sinner. Your hands don't cause you to sin. They might be the means through which you sin. Your heart causes you to sin. You could be an amputee and still sin. And so you know what you need to cut out and replace? It's your heart. Scripture says your heart is cold and dead and dark and stone. And the gospel gives us a new, living, vibrant heart. God takes what is old and depraved and He replaces it with what is new and alive. And that's what happens through the Gospel. The Gospel does not tell us, try to work harder. The Gospel tells us, die to yourself. Christ has done the work indeed on the cross for us. And yet we see here in the Scripture and we see in our own lives that we don't heed that warning so well. We don't heed warnings concerning sin, and even when we do, we try to respond to them by working harder and trying harder, or we do what we see Peter and James—or excuse me, Peter and Judas—do. And it's the next point i will putting in your notes that when Peter and Judas sinned, they, like we, they, they tried to cover their sin with more sin. And notice Peter here. Peter has been told, "You're going to deny me." Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And, and Peter says, no, Jesus, I'll never do that. And, and Peter is the one we see following at a distance. Peter is the one we see here in the courtyard. And yet, what happens? Scripture tells us that a servant girl comes up to him and she accuses him of being with Jesus. And he says, listen, I don't know what you mean. I mean, this isn't just an outright denial, but essentially it is. I mean, Peter's saying, Gee, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. He's not saying, I don't understand your words, or there's a translation area. He is basically saying, "I don't, what are you talking about? I don't know that person. Uh, he is just playing dumb, essentially. He sins. And certainly Peter in this moment is being burdened or being reminded in his heart that Jesus had just told him, Peter, you're going to deny me. And maybe Peter, somehow in his mind, is thinking, well, I mean, I said I didn't know him, I really didn't deny him. Maybe he's trying to dance around sin like we do. Well, I really didn't go that far, I went this far, so I'm probably okay. But we see Peter keeps going in his sin. Servant girl comes to him. Again, he's accused. He says then, I do not know the man. Here it says that not only... Does he say this? It says here that he denies it, verse 72, with an oath. Now he's gone from simply denying it to saying, listen, I, I promise before God I did, I do not know Him. I promise, I, I, I am swearing here, I don't know Jesus. He is sinning upon sinning. And it doesn't end there because then again he's accused of knowing Him in this time. He goes on to basically say, listen, verse 74, he invokes a curse on himself and he swears, I do not know this man. Essentially, he's saying, fire from heaven can take my life right now if I'm lying to you. God, strike me dead right now if I'm lying to you. And what was Peter doing? Peter was lying. Peter was sinning. Peter was seeking to cover one sin with another sin. we see Judas do the same thing. Judas gets upset. Judas goes to betray Jesus to the chief priests and the scribes and the rulers and he agrees on the price and he is in sin. And then he comes to the, to the Passover meal with Jesus and, and there Jesus confronts him on his sin and essentially calls him the betrayer, points out that he's the one in sin and how does he respond? Much like we do when we're called out in our sin, he just flees. He doesn't repent. And so he continues, he progresses in sin to where he comes to the point where he, he leads that mob to come and arrest Jesus. And even then we see ultimately the climax of Judas's sin here in Matthew 27. He goes to those who were trying Jesus. He sees that Jesus was condemned. And verse 3 says, He changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver, saying, I have sinned betraying innocent blood. Judas here feels remorse. Judas here feels guilty. Judas knows he's sinned. And yet, how does he respond with more sin? Because he goes out and he takes his own life. He goes before those men and he says, listen, I've betrayed innocent blood. And they say, well, what is that to us? The blood of Jesus was on their hands as well. And yet, they just kind of push all this back on Judas. And, and Judas here, rather than repenting, Rather than turning to Christ he essentially goes in his remorse in his sin and he takes his own life essentially seeking to cover it all. See what we see in these lives what we see in our own life is this tendency we have to think that somehow we can cover the darkness with more darkness and it's all going to be okay. And this doesn't start late in life, it starts very early in life. I can remember as a a child, thinking I was going to be so funny one day, and I am, but no. Uh, I was in the den with my father, and he had his favorite cup he would, he would drink out of, uh, you know, Coke, Pepsi, maybe new Coke in those days. But, uh, so he, he has that drink there by his chair, and he got up to go upstairs. And I thought it would be the funniest thing in the world if when he got back down, his cold drink was suddenly hot. And so I looked over at the kerosene heater and I thought, well, this will just be so funny. I'm going to put his drink on the kerosene heater and it's going to get hot and he's going to drink it and he's going to spit out his mouth and I'm just going to be the funniest man in the world. And I didn't think about the fact that the cup was plastic. And so I sat it on the kerosene heater and I looked at it and I just was smiling until I noticed the cup was starting to lean and starting to smell terribly as that plastic was burning. And so then I thought, okay, I've obviously done something wrong, so, so what do I do? Do I run upstairs and tell what I did wrong? No, I'm going to cover this up somehow. So I quickly grab the cup, I, I set it by the chair, I sit back down as if nothing has happened. Dad comes back downstairs, he's hit with the smell, there's plastic bubbling on the heater He looks over and now his cup is essentially molded to the table and will not come off of it. It is very obvious what's happened here. And yet he says, what has happened in so many words? And I don't know. (laughs) And we do that today. I mean, a lot of you are burning cups still. (laughs) You know, we, 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 we sin, we do something, maybe we think it's not going to work out like it does and we get there in that moment and, and we know, we know as we know, we are busted, it's going to come out, it's wrong, I messed up, and what do we do? We try to cover it further. Some of you, maybe recently, maybe at some point, husbands, wives, you've been in an argument with one another and maybe it's a few minutes into that argument where you realize, oh wait. They are right. But I'm not going to let them know they're right. And you just plow ahead. Some of you kids have been caught by your parents doing things and then a lie. And, and they know you lied and you know that you lied. But rather than just saying, I lied, what do you do? You will make up the most elaborate stories in the world. You come by this naturally because it is our nature to sin And to cover our sin, you can see it in the garden with Adam and Eve. They realize they are naked. They seek to cover themselves. And we have been trying to cover ourselves ever since. But the only thing the Scripture tells us that can truly cover our sin is not what we can do, but what Christ did on the cross. It is by His blood that we are made righteous, not by our works, not by our deeds, not by our attempts at covering sin upon sin upon sin. We can't cover it up, but His blood truly can. And yet, even knowing that, knowing that, we don't necessarily respond as the Scripture tells us to. And we see two very different responses I want to look at very briefly as we transition to the Lord's table here in a moment. And they're this, that, that in the end we see that Judas was remorseful, but Peter was repentant. You see here in the text, verse 3, Judas is betrayer. He, he changed his mind. And you might look at that and say, well, there you go. He's repentant. I mean, he's changed his mind. Judas is a new man. And yet there, there's two very different Greek terms used that talk about Repentance versus remorse. And the word used here is remorse. Essentially, Judas feels bad about what he did. You and I, when we sin, we often feel bad about what we did. Oftentimes, we can go to someone and we can say, Oh, I'm so sorry that happened. And that may mean nothing different about what's going to happen next time. We may do the same thing over and over again. Why? Because remorse is not the same thing as repentance. And here we see Judas is remorseful Judas feels bad Judas feels guilty but Judas the scripture does not tell us is repentant and yet we see a very different response in Peter who after that rooster crows he he remembers what Jesus said I mean think about all the things Jesus has said to him already he's not remembering so well but but now it clicks for Peter Now the text tells us he remembers Jesus had said this was going to happen and it says he goes out and he weeps bitterly. And you may read that and say, well, that that could just be remorse as well. And, And you're right, it could be. How do we know Peter was repentant? Same way I know if you or if I are repentant. Because the scripture says that repentance bears fruit. And we see great fruit of repentance in Peter's life who Peter will be a leader in the church. Peter will give great testimony. Think of this. Here's Peter in the dark in a courtyard scared to acknowledge to a servant girl that he even knows Jesus and yet we will see Him shortly standing in front of thousands of people who could take His life in a moment, and in no fear whatsoever, He will proclaim, Jesus is Lord, and you killed Him, and you need to repent, and you need to be baptized if you want to be saved. Why could He do that? Because He felt bad? No. Because God took His heart and He changed it. Because He was repentant you don't see Peter scared for his life anymore. You'll see Peter eventually, church history tells us, lose his life for the sake of the gospel. We see two very different responses here. And friends, we see two very different responses in our life. See, the question for us this morning is, how, how do we respond to sin? How do we even end up there? Is, is there clear instruction from Christ in your life right now that you're completely ignoring then repent. Do you find yourself when you sin, just trying to cover that thing up with more sin and more sin, trying to cover the darkness up with more darkness? Then repent. Do you find yourself saying you're sorry for the same thing over and over and over again? It may be that you're truly sorry, you're truly remorseful, but that you're not repentant. The call in your life this morning is to Repent. And we have a great reminder this morning of what repentance involves because as we come to this table, we we celebrate that Passover meal. Think of that meal. Here's Jesus with the disciples. This one's going to betray Him. This one's going to deny Him. And yet Jesus doesn't give them some lesson on guilt at the Last Supper. He he doesn't say, listen, you guys are going to fall short and I sure hope you're going to put in an extra effort once I'm gone because I'm going to need you to. Peter, you're going to fall down, but you better get back up, buddy. No, He said, I want you to remember something. This bread that's broken has nothing to do with you being broken. It's me. I'm going to the cross for you. This cup is a reminder of blood that was shed for you. Not your blood. It's not your works. The only way you're ever going to have righteousness in your life is from that of Christ. And the Scripture tells us His blood is what covers us to the point that you get to... The book of Revelation, and you have this picture of the nations, and they're all wearing white robes that the Scripture tells us they've been made clean by the blood of Christ. Your works will never make you clean. And this meal is a reminder of that and many other things. So I want to invite our deacons to come forward to prepare to distribute the elements of the Lord's Supper. And as they come forward, I want to read to you a text that we often look at as we talk about this time. Apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took the bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, also, He took the cup after his Supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This morning we're going to take some time to remember. As the deacons first pass out this bread, as you prepare to jointly together receive this bread, I want you to remember that this bread is to represent the body of Christ. A body that was broken on our behalf. And what that means is that Christ broke His body fully so that ours wouldn't have to be. What this means is that the Gospel tells us that we're not saved partially because of what we do and partially because of what He did, but we're saved fully through the sacrifice that Christ made. Let me pray for us as we prepare to receive the bread together. Father, thank you for this Lord's Day and this reminder that we so desperately need that our faith is not based in our work. Our faith is based in the work of Christ on the cross. Help us to remember these things as we prepare to receive this bread during this time. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.